Hello everyone, this is your host Dimitrios Papalexis and we are here for a new co-creative podcast for the series The Power of Community. Um, today I will uh, explore Roydon's question about community development and developing a shared interest and we will go more into detail soon. But first I would like to share my belief that community development Uh, is and remains important, especially during these times of uh, COVID lockdown here in Sydney and isolation. And it's important for us to keep in mind the young people and communities we are um, supposed to serve and um, be aware that uh, we are in lockdown. So a lot of the issues, the existing issues of uh, social isolation, mental health, um, unemployment, financial stress, COVID fatigue, Suicide, they're all exacerbated during these challenging times. Um, I know that for a lot of organizations, um, it's not the first time that this happened. So they they are used to uh, reinvent their programs and um, relaunch things online and adapt a lot of the programs. However, the fact remains that, uh, um, you know, offering things digitally is not enough. Um, human connection is very important, face-to-face is very important, so we need to be aware of that and not assume that just by substituting our programs and turning them into virtual delivery that will uh, meet all the uh, needs and desires of uh, the people that we are trying to serve. Uh, Truth is that nothing can replace human relations. We regulate, self-regulate and from human contact and uh, empathy um, can be developed through sharing a breath together uh, by observing the eyes of the other person. And there are a lot of studies about that, so I'm happy to refer people to academic research on the importance of touch, on the importance of contact, on the importance of uh, healthy intimacy. Um, These things are irreplaceable, so it's good to keep that in mind as we embark on different initiatives and as we claim that our programs are innovated. Um, Creating a new app won't solve all our issues at the moment. Um, I think relationships, social networks, human contact and um, participation, people doing things together uh, and joining in collectives, in groups of common interest, developing community is um, irreplaceable. That's my belief, and studies support that. So with this introduction about how important it is to um, keep that in mind, uh, I guess things like podcast and storytelling and programs delivered online also play a role and can facilitate um, this type of community development. It's not the same, but for people it can be a lifeline at the moment. So it's also it's quite important. So let's also keep that in mind and uh, make sure that we are aware of uh, all the benefits, but also of all the shortfalls. And uh, in this essence and nature of um, of keep uh, spreading the word about participatory approaches, about community development in these challenging times, this podcast will explore uh, a very interesting question by Roydon. Uh, Roydon is a very remarkable young person and leader and professional uh, based in the Cumberland area. He's involved uh, in the Cumberland Council uh, as part of the Youth for Youth group. 
he's a kind of a mentor for um, new members, uh, young people, and he's also a professional himself. He works in the sector. He's a social worker. He's passionate about um, um, stereotypes and breaking stereotypes and, um, you know, fighting racism. And he also he, he has also embraced the asset-based community development approach. So I'm very looking forward to listen to Royden's question and then come back and uh, analyze that with you guys. How do we best manage the tensions in the community development where uh, there's the challenges of unifying people around a central aim and developing uh, that shared interest versus fostering a new community identity and collective spirit based on existing groups, such as to differentiate the, from the existing established norm? How do we best manage tensions in community development when it comes to unifying people around a central aim and shared interest by fostering a new community identity versus reforming existing norms and status quos? This is a really great question by Royden about um, developing a new community identity of shared interest, central aim versus reforming existing status quos. I guess I would like to contextualize uh, the question and my answer uh, to begin with. Um, and I think I have to touch into, into important uh, elements of this uh, question. Um, the first one is um, forming a new community identity versus, you know, reforming existi existing status quo. I believe this is uh, the essence, it goes back to the essence of asset-based community development. Um, for those who are familiar with asset-based community development, um, you already know that uh, it's about shifting from issues and problems into strengths and the different assets in the community. There are five types of different assets. And uh, also um, increasing the scale of participation, moving from doing things to people and for people to doing things with people and eventually by people, community-led, youth-led, citizen-driven, people-centered. And this is a big shift in mindset and it's a big change in the way we do things in the community. Unfortunately, we are still operating under a very uh, paternalistic and Eurocentric model of top-down service delivery where experts gather evidence uh, research, analyze studies, and then deliver programs to the community to address all the different issues of homelessness, unemployment, mental health, um, etc., etc. Uh, and however good intentions, uh, no matter how many good intentions this approach has, it, uh, it doesn't uh, pay justice to the huge depth of resilience, of creativity, of assets, of gifts that individuals uh, have in their communities, that young people have. And it doesn't involve them, it doesn't build relationships with them, it doesn't listen with respect, it doesn't acknowledge privilege and bias, um, so it doesn't uh, lead to any um, substantial outcomes, not for the people at least, maybe for the reports, and uh, definitely not to any social impact or any difference or any change 
in the communities. And this is the essence of this question. Royden is asking how can we um, create um, new, a new community identity and, um, versus reforming. So re people, uh, like a lot of organizations, uh, government likes reforms to improve things for better outcomes. However, um, un unless, until we stop, we pause and we reflect on our practice, and what type of model are we using? What type, what theory of change are we using? Are we even aware where we are basing our KPIs? Um, do we recognize the huge depth of research into these participatory approaches and into the fact that real change cannot take place until we sit down, you know, and, and work together with the community and really get to know them, really connect with them, listen, and then involve them because the problems are there. I mean, the problems are systemic as well, but uh, the answers are there too. And uh, this is the essence of ABCD. So when it comes to community development, so that's the first you know, point I want to address about the importance of recognizing that this question makes total sense uh, when you think of the model we're operating, which is top-down, deficit-based, paternalistic, Eurocentric, and versus the asset-based, community-driven framework that we are advocating for. Now, the second point I want to address in this question is uh, the important word there, which is tensions. And this is a word we cannot overlook. It's very important. Um, I guess a lot of our service delivery is based on a safety model and making sure that you know the, uh, we take care of liability, we do our risk assessments, uh, we keep in mind the safety of our workers, of our community, and uh, this is great, this is very important, and I think we should continue doing that. But a lot of uh, the shadow of this system is also in avoiding conflict and being afraid of tensions, tensions being afraid of listening to community members and their complaints, uh, being afraid to be questioned about the way we do things, and we learn so much and we grow so much from these tensions. We grow so much from this conflict. And conflict is an inev inevitable part of life. I have a quick story here. I was running a series of asset-based community development trainings for a collective impact project in Wulumulu. And uh, we were doing a lot of asset mapping and a lot of uh, you know, visioning about uh, the, the, the dreams in the community and what they want to work together. And at some stage, the issue of conflict between community members, amongst community members, came up. And I remember a worker standing there in, in the midst of all the professionals and community members and the diversity of voices in these um, trainings and said, guys, I come from a place where I don't know my neighbors. Um, we don't even talk to each other. So I'm jealous hearing, hearing you that you have conflict here. It means that people talk to each other. It means that people have relationships. Yes, they might not be the best, but there are relationships. And I crave that. I crave connection. I crave relationships. I'm so happy I work in this area now. So this shows a very important aspect of conflict that we overlook if we are afraid of it and of tensions, which is the opportunity for real change. And I think this should be considered and be reframed if we are to work effectively and respectfully and authentically with young people and communities. Okay, now that we got uh, out of the way the two important uh, points that I wanted to raise so we can contextualize the response 
um, I would like to go into the actual question and uh, yeah, break it down. So how do we create a new community? How do we foster? That's a nicer word. A new community identity versus existing um, status quo and reforming them. I think that's a great question. So props to you first, Royden, for this uh, question. It's very, it goes at the essence of community development. So as I said, if we see community development as a, as a way of slowing down, listening, building relationships and social capital and working with community, um, then uh, the first thing we have to do is start letting go of our own agenda a bit. Um, yes, organizations have expertise and research and evidence, and this is one of the assets you know, for, that we map in community development. So this is uh, very important, but uh, when we actually approach a community, um, I feel it's very important to put this to the side for a moment and take our expert hat and really explore uh, and embark into a process of co-discovery with the community. Things change all the time. Um, there is lots of complexity in our life and in our community. And um, organizations strive for quick outcomes that they can be then um, based on evidence and uh, showcased in reports so they can keep securing funding. And that's fine because funding and money keeps uh, the wheel of community sector um, turning. But at the same time, um, it's important to reflect on what type of outcomes, what is a real outcome, outcome that we want, and what is uh, that the community wants, and ask those questions and work together to find solutions. So instead of uh, having the answer and uh, approaching a community or having a working group or an interagency, inviting one or two community members, the usual suspects, to just reconfirm what we already know and believe as the answer and solution to be, what we are proposing is a different approach uh, where we let go a bit of our own agenda and we intentionally connect with the communities and hold space for an honest and authentic conversation to take place in whichever way or form is appropriate for that community. Communities are very diverse, they are very different, people are different. If you ask people from the same community, they might give you five different answers. You will never discover what people believe what people are fearful of and what people dream if you don't talk to them and if you don't take the time to listen. And we need to make time, we need to make space, we need to allocate budget for this type of approach and co-design. Um, if we skip through that process, whichever outcomes and findings we manage to gather won't be sustainable and they are not. Uh, which leads us to the next question. How do we do that in a way that's generative and it doesn't end up in a conflict, you know, or in a winds festival? Um, and I feel this is where the importance of holding space and having the skills, uh, the right skills to do so comes into play. Which then leads us to the next question. How do we do it? How do we hold space? And how do we connect genuinely and how do we foster a generative conversation where a common interest, a shared interest, can be developed and a new identity? That's a great question. First, I would like to acknowledge this question and pose.
And it's important to pose and acknowledge the question because there is lots of research that questions are powerful in terms of generating processes. And that's the first point, asking the right questions, open questions, even co-designing the questions with community and young people, rather than coming with answers, surveys, questionnaires, and presentations, is a first great step. How can we ask great questions that we will get more generative answers? A great example of that is um, a few different organizations in Wulumulu, like Weave and Hope Street, developing the listening project following these ABCD workshops, where they ask strength-based questions based, uh, driven by appreciative inquiry to community members. And they sit down, have a cuppa, cup of coffee, and discuss with the community and get to know them even better. So asking great questions is the first step. Another step is uh, using community conversation tools. Community conversation is so important. The actual process of people coming together and discussing and be able to hold multiple views and perspectives and work through different dynamics and personalities and conflicts and moving slowly towards a solution is brilliant. This is an actual amazing outcome that we need to harvest and record and celebrate. Um, and there are those hosting tools that we use, those who are trained in asset-based community development, art of hosting, we are trained to use to have these respectful, grounded community conversations. Honest, authentic, interconnected. Some of these I've used in many different initiatives and projects. Um, you might be familiar or you might want to look them up. I'm happy to send you uh, resources and references. Um, are things like a World Cafe, where community members sit in different tables on the same space, explore different questions, move around the tables, present them to the whole group where some emergence can happen. And I will talk about emergence soon, which is very important. Another one is open space technology. There is no agenda. The agenda comes from the participants, what they are passionate to explore in the present moment. They propose different topics. They break into different groups. There is a marketplace created with the different topics. People can rotate around those topics and they have to have one has to scribe and then present again to the whole group. Very democratic, very participatory, very um, very not top-down, very, as I said, interconnected. And this is another great tool to break through the dynamic of over-serviced communities where and empower and give the voice back to people to talk about what really matters to them. I run open space in many, many different environments from uh, the men youth mental health sector um, to a youth conference few years ago with 150 youth workers through Youth Action, uh, to the social enterprise sector, um, to many, many different opportunities where people get the chance to speak about what they really want to talk about. Another one is the circle way, where people sit on a circle, there is a host, there is a guardian, there is a bell, everyone gets a talking, everyone gets their turn, hold the talking stick and share from heart, connected 
And uh, believe me, all these processes, they have been around for millennia. They have been refined. There is evidence around them. There are practitioners who are highly skilled. There are global communities. I'm part of some of them. And uh, they are the frameworks that hold, that can hold space respectfully and have enough potency to be able to host conversations and to also uh, navigate through tensions and conflicts. It's not just people speaking from their mind or participating in surveys on working groups. It's sitting together, grounded on a circle or in small groups all together, having a chance to speak from the heart, talk from experience. It's trauma-informed in terms of um, people sharing as much as they are comfortable with and being able to learn from each other and the actual group hold its members. And uh, they are really powerful. So a great example of uh, working towards a shared vision and a shared goal from my experience is from a project I was engaged as a trainer and consultant. It's the Cooks River Changemakers Program, a partnership between four different councils that's led by the Cooks River Alliance, who has embraced the ABCD approach. So Cooks River Alliance uh, rolled out this uh, Changemakers initiative, inviting people who have a passion for the Cooks River to join and uh, develop different projects and initiatives. It's a process of co-design. So as we gathered and the community members gathered and uh, went for a tour in the Cooks River and listened from an indigenous uh, professor from Sydney University that told them about the rich history of the river, which is also very important for place-based approaches involving the traditional custodians and learning from land and local knowledge. Um, so, and then uh, the, the actual community members were given tools to be able to co-design different initiatives in the, in the river. And what happened naturally is, which is at the essence of Royton's question, is that community members have different ideas. They all had their own ideas and um, they weren't willing so much at the beginning to work with each other or to let go of their idea. And that can be an issue that can uh, lead to uh, disruption and polarization. So uh, what uh, I was invited to do at the first workshop was an open space technology session. Okay, you have the ideas. I want to hear some of you uh, talking about some of your projects. And uh, we went through a very important process of negotiating the marketplace. As people stand up and talk about what they are passionate about. And uh, we started seeing the different connections in different projects, how projects could be aligned. We started seeing people changing their mind and want to join a project. Uh, we started seeing people looking at each other and being willing to work together, forming those groups, which led eventually to five amazing prototypes in the river. Uh, I, I, read an art, uh, I wrote an article about that. I will uh, include the link on this podcast. But that's just a great example of how you navigate through tensions, when people are, you know, attached to their own idea and opinion and you use a participatory democratic approach, such as open space technology, to be able to converge into those projects that have the most enrollment and participation and energy to get kick-started. And some of these ideas were great, but maybe it wasn't the right timing for them. And the actual process um, brings into everyone's eyes in a visible way which projects have momentum to come off the ground. 
So there was even a team who formed the research and communications group. There was another group that creatively came up with full moon walks in the river. Another group wanted to take advantage of the asset of uh, uh, the River Canoe Club there and jump into the kayaks and clean the river and organize events around that. Another group was passionate about involving children and young people and came up with family picnics and scavenger hunts. This is amazing initiatives and the way we managed to navigate through the tension was by using a participatory approach. Having a conversation, a hosted, facilitated conversation where it's not Cooks River Alliance or myself or the councils who decide, but it's the actual community members. And through that, forming a new community identity, the river people, sitting together in a circle at the last training, at the last workshop, and celebrating these initiatives and the spirit of working together, walking slowly, looking attentively. Small changes make a difference in the world. There is a beautiful video about this initiative as well, and I'm very, very, very passionate about that. Um, so I'm happy to share it with you. I think uh, a question submitted by Nicole Dean, um, a consultant from Kazama Consulting in Canberra and Sydney, is uh, very relevant also uh, in terms of uh, how can we um, create a new community identity. So let's listen to Nicole's question, and then I will try to combine Roydon's and Nicole's and uh, make some points around those two questions together, that they are very interconnected. How can we co-create with communities and ensure everyone's voice is heard when everyone's voices may be different? How do we balance what people want and need and what we can provide? I will repeat here Nicole's question. How can we co-create with communities and ensure that everyone's voice is heard when everyone's voice is different? How can we balance what people want, need, and what we can provide? So this is a great question by Nicole, and uh, I feel like it, uh, it's very related to the conversation we are having uh, based on Royden's question about creating a new identity and us and managing tensions. And a great example of that was the um, case study from the Cooks River Change Makers Initiative that I just mentioned, that we're able to use uh, open space technology to uh, navigate through the different voices. So Nicole's question comes into this uh, example, but also it's a more, I guess, it's interesting to approach it in a more general way. Um, as I said, People uh, are different, communities are different. We cannot assume homogeneity in the community. There is a lot of heterogeneity and there is a lot of uh, diversity within our own communities. There is a lot of intersectionality, um, something that another colleague of mine, Nas Sharifi, talks quite a lot, a lot. And you can check uh, the podcast about the power of diversity we recorded um, last year. And um, so how do we manage, how do, how do we navigate these uh, seal voices and different opinions? And as I said, uh, how do we use frameworks that we move from our own idea and opinion to looking at each other, working together and honoring that? That's more important than our own ideas. And this is a process that takes time. It doesn't just happen quickly through a working group unless you already agreed on the solutions before. It takes active listening and it takes a natural process of emergence. 
I mentioned about that before, so I will um, mention it again because it's very important. It's very relevant to uh, if you work with co-design and human design, human-centered design, uh, if you are a facilitator, if you are a host, if you have uh, some, uh, if you you know are thrown in a role that you have to do some of these, some people find themselves like a colleague of mine having to do group facilitation in social housing. Again, a lot of different voices and diversity and police being involved in organizations and tenants and uh, housing. So it's an ecosystem that's quite complex. Uh, so what do we do to make sure people are listened, uh, are heard? Uh, first, actively listen, uh, dedicating the space, the time and the supports for people who find themselves in these environments and uh, making sure that we allow a natural process of emergence. So there is a model of uh, design that's called DEC. Uh, it talks about divergence, emergence and convergence. So the first phase when we approach communities is the phase of divergence. This is the time to open up all the possibilities, to talk about different things, to map things, to discuss, to disagree, to get lost. This is a natural part. It's part of the process. It's intentional and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We are diverging. We don't know the solution. We are co-creating it. We are finding together. And then naturally, at some stage, there is emergence. Some themes emerge. There is some kind of, uh, of alignment of ideas. There is a moment where we pause and we see something very important that people are willing to act. In ABCD, we say, what do people care enough to act? And this is where the process of uh, convergence happens, when you start to map those ideas, when you start to prototype when you start to co-design and put them into paper and harvest them and agree on them and then uh, make sure that more supports and funding and resources and time will be allocated so it's realistic that they will be operation operationalized. Um, so this process of uh, divergence, emergence and conver convergence, DEC, is very important. A lot of people are not aware of this. It's a natural process. It happens with everything. There are cycles of design. We call them also the breadth of design, where people have to go through together, through the ups and downs, out to the unknown, through the dark abyss, into the light of awareness and solutions and what they come up with. And uh, this process, it might be scary, but it's very very supported, it has the stages, and uh, it's the only way to get to some type of renewal. So I will encourage you to look up about this model, the DEC, Divergence, Emergent, Convergent model, and there are other frameworks also that use similar language, but it's important to recognize the diversity of our communities, the fact that time is needed, active listening, um, skillful hosting, daring facilitation, and the spirit of solidarity moving together through the phases of co-design towards emergence and then uh, change, co-production, as we call it, in the community where people take ownership because people were part of the process. So there is commitment and there is sustainability. This is a process that we are advocating for and we believe it's quite powerful and I will encourage anyone to seek more information, support, uh, because uh, it seems daunting, as I said, but it can be actually quite interesting and empowering if you embark on this journey of this type of participatory approaches.
I guess another point, a uh, very important point I want to make is that uh, about timing. Um, communities are in different stages, you know, and, and people are in different phases in their life and uh, there has to be a momentum and a convergence of uh, the right people coming together at the right time and having the right type of conversations. It happens sometimes organically, sometimes intentionally, and sometimes it doesn't happen. So part of our role is also um, to let go of our own agenda of this type of work. And I will give an example why is this so important. Uh, and I will be very honest with you. I have a lot of people coming to my trainings, ABCD trainings, and getting inspired, getting ex uh, excited because the values of this theory of change resonate with their deepest core and values. And they want to do this work. So they go out to their communities and they struggle many times. And this is the reality because we still operate in a top-down system. We still have liability. We have KPIs. We have expectations. We have uh, governance with different uh, beliefs and systems of operating. Uh, and not everyone agrees on this type of approach. And sometimes the community is not ready to move into solution. They are stuck into a problem and all this is fine. All this is natural. So if we keep insisting in doing up ABCD work uh, straight on, and then we will end up getting frustrated that we can't apply ABCD and we'll get dismotivated and we will believe it doesn't work with this community or it doesn't work with me or it doesn't work with my organization. Um, so A, to address that issue, we have uh, regular meetings with the ABCD uh, Sydney network where we get to talk about our different challenges and opportunities applying ABCD work. I hosted an ABCD peer circle recently and got people talking about the different initiatives. B, uh, it's a continuous process of learning and growing your skills, your influence, your personal power, your resources, your community, your supports around you so you can keep doing this work. And C, it's about learning when to push and when to let go. If you arrive in a social housing setting and you ask people to dream about the solutions or come up with projects, they might not be ready. We are talking about sometimes a highly traumatized community where there is lots of practical issues like crime, drugs and safety issues where the police is involved, which uh, it's a very different system. So it's very important to spend a lot of time in divergence. There I talked about divergence, emergence, convergence before. Talk a lot of time, spend a lot of time listening, spend a lot of time really listening, listening more, developing empathy, understanding, building relationships, building social capital, advocating, connecting people, connecting organizations, mapping assets, until the right time comes where people will be open to share more their gifts. They will be encouraged, they will be invited, they will be included, they will feel heard, they will feel understood, and then they will want to contribute more. In one of these social housing settings I was uh, involved a few years ago, there was uh, a person who was a Bayside citizen of the year. She was leading a community garden. There was a lot of people who were involved. Um, there was another person who was from the mental health. She was a nurse. There was another person who worked in, a, in an embassy in a different country. There are people there who have a lot of skills, a lot of experience, a lot of stories, and they are very well-educated, decent people. They are not second-class citizens. So until we connect genuinely with people, hold space, and take our time to work towards solutions together, or let them 
come up with their own solutions. We cannot do any meaningful work. We cannot get the outcomes we want. Um, and I'm raising that because this is the shadow of ABCD, trying to apply ABCD or force it to people. It's a natural process. You have the skills, you have the resources, you have the tools, you have the ACEs in yourselves, and you wait. You wait until the right time is there. You cultivate the ground. You nurture that community. You hold space. And sometimes it's not the right time. That's fine. It's still helpful to have those conversations because it's a matter of trust. And in ABCD, we move at the speed of trust. Hey, what a great question by Nicole. I want to thank uh, Nicole Dean again, amazing colleague and consultant based in Canberra. And uh, yeah, check her out, check out her work with Kazama, Kazama Consulting. Um, that's a great question and great questions, as we know from a priestive inquiry, uh, lead to powerful processes. So both questions from Nicole and Royden were uh, powerful and initiate a powerful process for me. And yes, I do talk a lot in this podcast, I apologize, um, but I promise I listen a lot also in my work with young people, communities and organizations. So it's a good balance. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. So now summarizing, sorry, I know I talk a lot. I'm very passionate about these approaches. I've seen how powerful they are. I've seen the both, both sides occupying different roles in the community sector and seeing the top-down model and how detrimental it can be in terms of perpetuating like existing power dynamics, in terms of disempowering people and in terms of missing out on, on creativity, on doing some meaningful work with uh, sustainable outcomes and social impact. And I've also seen the other side of it within the community sector through different initiatives. I was part or observed and as a consultant and trainer and change maker through SoulGen, my social enterprise. Um, and I guess... Um, I apologize, that's why I'm so passionate, and that's why I talk so much. I know I shouldn't apologize, but I do. Um, so uh, trying to recap, I guess, uh, when it comes to fostering a new identity versus reforming existing status quo, a brilliant question by Royden. Uh, I will just, you know, recap on the main points. Um, if we see that as a process of not imposing our own views and predetermined decisions and solutions, uh, rather than uh, engaging in a genuine conversation and co-design with the community uh, and using the right tools and um, hosting frameworks and active listening and other skill sets that is one of us have and the resource the, the resource and the resilience of the community um, their own assets um, then we can have this type of uh, reinvention and renewal and community renewal and shared passion and community healing as well as people come together and work together and connect to each other this addresses the major issue of social isolation and friendships and social networks so the actual process is amazing for everyone involved the outcomes are sustainable and i feel it's important to document that that's something i need to improve document better share the story create an evidence base uh, share those case studies, connect to other like-minded professionals and advocate together for a shift in our top-down system to a more compassionate, collaborative approach that will involve communities and will put them in the center, in the driving seat. So thank you so much. Thank you, Roydon, for the amazing question. Um, and thanks 
big thanks also to you for listening, tuning in, and uh, I'll see you in the next podcast.